This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Morton Anderson, and you're listening to the Eye Test for Two. Welcome to another installment of The Brady Bunch, otherwise known as The Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are Hall of Fame voters, joined today as we are each week by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And as you should know by now, Ira and Ian live in the Tampa area. Ira's in Tampa itself. Ian is in St. Pete. And lately, each week, guys, we've opened up with the same story. So here we go again. Tom Brady on the field, off the field, really doesn't matter. It's all Brady all the time. Only now, Ira, we have a rumored divorce that's actually been finalized. It's big yeah. stuff up here in the New York area. If you read the New York Post, it's there every day. Pushing he said, she said. Stories about the divorce. Giselle on one side, Tom on the other. What's it like down there? How's that story playing down in the Tampa area? Well, I think a lot of Buck fans, Clark, are, are trying to figure out the impact mm-hmm. of, of, of Brady's private life uh, on his play. He's not been terrible. He's thrown one pick, one pick, Clark. So you can't kill the guy. But he's also only has nine touchdown passes. That's not Brady. They're three and five. That certainly isn't Brady. Uh, Clark, in the end, he's a human being. And you're going through a divorce during a football season with kids involved. Clark, it's got to weigh heavily. Ian, you followed him for a lot of his career, most of his career, maybe all of his career. But I I look at what Ben Roethlisberger said a couple weeks ago when they played the Steelers. He said he looked distracted. He didn't look like he was really into the game. With this as a backdrop, who can blame him? I don't know if it is or not, but how can you not have this as a distraction if that's what you're going through? No, I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 impossible to compartmentalize everything, and he's certainly one that's able to do that, and we've seen him do it in years past with certain other situations. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have, you know, his, his wife of, I mean, I, I know they've been together for a what, 15 years, something close to that, you know, 13, yeah, 13, yeah, 13, um, you know, kids are involved and, you know, it kind of makes what happened this off season come a bit clearer. Like I think his retirement might've been a a last ditch effort maybe to, to resolve some marital woes. And and when it became pretty evident that that wasn't going to happen, um, he decided to come back and, you know, maybe, the 11 days in August, you know, maybe there'll be a documentary about that one day. Uh, nice 30 for 30, right. you know. Um, but 11 days in August, maybe that had something to do with it. And look, the guy's human as, as, as much as we, you know, pretend like he's a cyborg and he, he can't get hurt or this, that and the other. The guy's human. And I think it certainly has an impact. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as what Ben Roethlisberger said. And I believe he alluded to the fact, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that he didn't want to be out there. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there, I think there's a very clear distinction between being distracted and not wanting. I think he wants to be out there, but I think the natural human element, just you can't ignore something like this going on in the background, especially with it being finalized over the last couple of weeks. Well, speaking of the kids, I, I really feel for the kids whenever there's a divorce, no matter whether it's Tom Brady or Tom Thumb, I, I really, really feel for the kids. And you're talking about you know wanting to be out there but not wanting to be out there. Ira, he was out there for Halloween with the kids. He was out there with him. Did you see him at your address? Did he come knocking at your door? He knocked at my door, and um, 
I, uh, I threw a, a piece of candy and uh, it, it fell out of the paper bag. And, and he goes, uh, I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to that. Ira. Now, look, it, here's the crazy part. The Packers stink. The Rams, the Rams offense is worse than the Bucs. Hard to believe. Yeah. Can't run the ball either. Stafford's not playing well, Clark. He's got seven touchdowns and eight interceptions. We know about Rodgers. So, Clark, the saving grace for Buck fans everywhere, crappy division. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah, still, that's right. Still alive. Still hey, alive. Uh, Ira, there is a rumor, and I think Ian might have confirmed this, that when Brady and his kids came to the, your door and they saw who answered it, he said, let's go. Is that true? <laughs> Speaking of let's go, I'm a little tired of monitoring that Monday night show, Buck. Now, now, wait a minute. I'm going out there tomorrow, Buck. I'm going out there just to see Mr. Brady. I'm certainly not going out to see Byron Leftwich. So I'm going out to see Brady. And I've got a full 24 hours to think of a provocative question that is going to elicit a provocative answer. What are my chances, Judge? What are my chances? Uh, slim and none. None just checked out. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think he's, he, he's smooth. He's, he's well, he just he's very good at, at dodging the questions and, and talking around him. And I think that's the way he was brought up and the way he was brought up in the Patriots organization. Uh, you know, it's all about the team, none about him. And I think he'll make sure this uh, story is about the next game. Anyway, guys, I, I really don't want to talk about Tom Brady more this week. And I'm sure you guys don't either. We've got a couple of other quarterbacks to talk we, about. We do. We do. And, and Ira, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to go really outside your, what is it, 813 area code yeah. uh, for a change. And, and let's talk about those two other veteran quarterbacks who are under duress. And I'm not talking about A-Rod and I'm not talking about Matt Stafford. They also are under duress. Um, but I'm talking about Matt Ryan. And Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan's been benched and Russell Wilson's been playing like he should be benched. But anyway, the, the question is, Ira, we're Hall of Fame voters and we vote on quarterbacks every so often. And, and here are two guys, one of whom, Matt Ryan, may never start again. Another of whom is certainly in the decline and fall of his career. And the question now in front of us, and it's been posed on numerous websites, is if they were to retire tomorrow, would they be admitted to Pro Football Hall of Fame? So let's deal first with Matt Ryan. He certainly is in the twilight of his career, if not nearer at the end. What do you think about Matt Ryan? Do you like him as a Hall of Fame-worthy candidate? Um, some people think so, some think don't, but they don't have the vote that you do. Clark, he, he could be the poster child for compiler. He, he could be. Uh, and here's what I offer. 123 and 105, average less than nine wins in his 14 years in Atlanta, four and six postseason. Now, Clark, the other side of the coin, won the MVP in 2016. We might be looking at his career a little differently if Mr. Brady didn't have a hellacious Super Bowl comeback. Right. Clark, he was voted the top 25, a top 25 player in the league only twice. Clark, in, in his career. So, you know, he's top 10 in attempts, completions, and yards, Clark. Th those are the facts. Yeah. Those are the facts. But if I'm – he made one all-pro team, right. Clark. First one. team, yeah. First team so all-pro. I, I lean thumbs down. I lean thumbs down. Yeah, so, so do I. I mean, when I hear his name, I go, I, I think he's in the hall very good. Um, but he's hung around a long time to sort of um, get those stats up there. I mean, stats, I think he's seventh in passing yards behind Philip Rivers. There's another guy we could talk about, ninth in touchdowns. But I, saw, I kind of see him as a compiler, too. I think he's a very good quarterback. But here's what I look at. 
I look at him versus Ken Anderson. Okay, Ken Anderson can't really get a sniff of the hall. And we've had him on this show before, a friend of the show, Ken Anderson. And he was a league MVP. He was an offensive player of the year. He was a comeback player of the year. He was like Matt Ryan, first-team All-Pro. He was like Matt Ryan, four-time Pro Bowler. He was also a four-time passing rating leader, three-time completion percentage leader, and yet he can't get near Canton. So why would you give a pass to Matt Ryan if you're not going to give a pass to Ken Anderson? Both got to the Super Bowl, but neither won. And I'm going to throw this out at Ian Glendon. Ian, Matt Ryan, to me, borderline. And if you're borderline, Ian, I think this Indy experience is a big factor because Ian, suppose he went there and instead of being, you know, three, three, uh, you know, three, four and one, uh, let's say they were uh, five and five and three uh, and he wasn't benched and he went to another place with a different scheme and succeeded. And I think the indie experience is uh, is really going to downgrade Ryan. Yeah, I, I think it could have helped him. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think compiler might be the best way. And I don't mean that as an insult. I, I think he's just a product of, you know, having his entire career in this new era of football, I believe, started in 2008 when, when things really started to move forward, you know, over the last five, seven years or so, it's gotten even more so. But I ask the question when it comes to Matt Ryan, what has he done that has stood out? And I honestly don't know. And and to your point about the MVP, and, and I know, you know, that year he could have won a Super Bowl if not for Tom Brady. Um, he wasn't the best quarterback in the league. The only reason, I don't want to say the only reason he won that MVP was because Tom missed those first four games because the moment he came back, uh, those last uh, 14 games of the, or last uh, 12 games of the regular season, Tom Brady was by far the best quarterback in the league. I think what would have been the record for touchdown interception ratio, but he falls short for pass attempts because he missed those four games. So you think about that and it's like the one saving grace for Matt Ryan is that MVP. And I can make a very good case that he wasn't even the best at his position that year. So outside of that, he played his entire career in a dome, throwing to some very good wide receivers. And I think he did exactly what a guy of very good talent would do, and that is compile numbers, but not necessarily win. He's going to yeah. go down, Clark. He's going to go down as a very good quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no shame in that. Yeah, no, that's right. And he tops, or not tops, but he's in the top tier of all those list of all-time records, you know, yards, touchdowns, uh, completions. But let's be honest. That top-heavy group is really fraught with players in, in this millennium. I mean, it's because it's never been easier to play quarterback. And the rules have never been easier to complete passes. Defense has basically been outlawed from the game. It's certainly the defense from the 70s and 80s. So you look at that top tier, it's all guys from 2008, 9, 10, you know, 15, 6. So um, you see it hang around long enough, and you've got a quarterback who's hung around until he's 45. That was impossible. On the seventies, and people say Clark, the same whatever. thing. Clark, the same thing applies to the modern wide receivers. That's right? correct. That's, That's right. Yeah. yeah, sure. And so uh, I was going to say, with the exception of George Blanda, but George Blanda was a kicker at the end of his career, a backup quarterback, and a kicker. But um, so you've got Brady doing what nobody else did. But you hang around long enough, you're going to be near the top of that. And I think Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback. There's no shame in that. But I just don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. Otherwise, we're opening the doors to everybody. Every quarterback. Hey, by the way, Clark, what 
Clark, one more quick point uh, in Indiana. I noticed it's just been corrected. I just didn't understand what was going on there in the last month with Ryan under center. Clark, because he was throwing 40 or 50 passes. To me, they were a running team. I I didn't understand what was going on in Indy. I didn't either, although Jonathan Taylor has been banged up, but I didn't understand either. And also, this thing has contract implications because of an injury guarantee for next year. He's on the the team for next year. At least he's going to be paid for next year. So um, there was, I think, 17 million payout. There's some people who think, oh, the reason they did is because they don't want him hurt. Anyway, I, I just think that's beside the point. We're talking about the Hall of Fame. I, I would vote him thumbs down as well. Um, now let's move on to another candidate, and that's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is playing. He hasn't been sat down, except he was hurt, and that's why he stepped aside. But he's back in the life. He won a game last weekend. He's never been a first-team All-Pro. However, guys, he's been a nine-time Pro Bowler. He has won a Super Bowl. He's gone to two. Um, he led the league in touchdowns in 2017, passed the rate in 2015. Nearly 5,000 yards rushing. Where do you stand on Russell Wilson? I think this is a closer, closer call. He's not a slam dunk, Clark, but I would vote for him. I would. Now, he's having a bad year, no question about it. But the guy's, you know, 50 games over 500, Clark, 9-7 and postseason. Could have a second Super Bowl. Certainly wasn't his fault. Um uh, that they didn't give the ball to uh, Marsha Sean Lynch uh, at the end as they should. Average 10 wins, Clark, over 10 years. That's that's a big number. It wasn't a 17-game season uh, in Seattle. Eight times voted a top 25 player. Eight as compared to Matt Ryan's two. Um, and Clark, fourth in all-time passer rating. Now, look, some yeah. people don't believe in passer rating. I just think it's, a, it, it's an indicator. Yeah, you don't have to, you know have complete faith in it and he doesn't throw picks Clark his interception rate for his career is the same as Tom Brady's 1.8 Clark I I, I gotta give him a thumbs up at this point plus he ran for 5,000 yards um, that's right and that's right and um the thing that that I, I've always believed in is what Herman Edwards said it's so simple you play to win the game and as you pointed out he's won twice as many games as he's lost he's 107 57 and one in his career that really resonates with me. Now, he clearly is in decline. He's not the player he once was. However, going to Ian's point, when you think of signature plays, what do you think of Russell Wilson? I think of the Malcolm Butler interception of the goal line. That's what I think about. Now, that's unfair to him. It's unfair because he's had a great career. But that's what I think about. And I know when people talk about Roger Craig, why is he not in the Hall of Fame? I sometimes say, gee, I mean, I think Roger Craig should be in the Hall of Fame. But here people say, well, he fumbled that ball in the game against the Giants. Well, so what? Fumbles happen. Interceptions happen. You know, when you're at the goal line, in that situation, you get the ball to Marshawn Lynch. But they didn't for whatever reason. And, and now we remember what happened. But, Ian, I want to bring you in here because I think you're not as keen. You don't have a Hall of Fame vote, but you're on the outside looking in. You certainly know a lot about what's going on. You remember that game because you're a diehard Patriots fan and certainly played to your strength, your Patriots strength. And brought you a win that maybe they wouldn't have had. But what do you think about Russell Wilson and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, if you had a vote? I, You know, I've look, I've been pretty harsh on Russell Wilson. I, I haven't been as big of a fan of his throughout his career. So, you know, this isn't piling on this year. But I, I go back to not a single MVP vote his entire career and no All-Pros. Right. And uh, that, that tells me, based on his career, he was never – the very best at his position, and and you brought up his interception rate, which which is fine compared to Tom Brady's. But Brady also played 
a significant portion of his career where elite, you know, elite interception rates were about 1.8, 2.0, whereas now you're talking about 0. 0.5, 1.0. That's that's elite level. So I I think, you know, given Russell Wilson's uh, uh, career, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. Um, I I think. Pete Carroll has gotten a lot of slack for not letting him cook, but and and whether this is fair or not, what we're seeing now makes Pete Carroll look a whole hell of a lot better. And maybe he was, you know, more or less protecting Russell Wilson because, you know, the interception at the goal line isn't his own. He's had some very crucial and very bad interceptions. He doesn't throw a lot of them, but he's had a lot of moments in key situations where he's turned the ball over. And I go back to a couple years ago where I think through six or seven weeks, he was, I think, the clear front runner for MVP, or at least right there in the discussion, and then completely fell off the map in the second half. And, and to me, that's puzzling. And to me, that that's kind of, you know, sums up his career. So I, I, I it's tough because he has the two Super Bowl appearances. But when it comes to individually, I just don't see him, again, stack up against some of these other guys that should probably be in the Hall of Fame. So I would probably say no at this point. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned that about tailing off in the second half. That's sort of been the, more the rule than the exception recently. And I always attributed that to sacks. He was beaten up. He took so many sacks, he was beaten up. He wasn't the same guy in the second half of the season because he wasn't escaping people as he did early in his career. The other thing is, and I'll bring this in, I don't know if you think it's a fact or not, but he seems to be a polarizing figure within his own locker room. You know, Richard Sherman uh, has been sort of outspoken about what happened there in, in Seattle. I think also suggesting that somehow Russell Wilson was involved. He might have been. But in terms of Pete Carroll, and I've been a Pete Carroll fan for a long time. He signed off on that play. Someone, Daryl Bevel, the offense coordinator, Pete Carroll, somebody signed off on that play. It made no sense whatsoever. And Pete said, you know, it, it wasn't a bad call. No, no, it wasn't. It was a bad play. It just don't you don't you don't call that play in that situation. But in any case, he's had a, a career that I think is going to make him a really intriguing candidate when he comes up for election, simply because he's got a lot of figures on one side. But as you mentioned, Ian, no MVP votes, not one. Not one. Hey, Clark, I want to talk. Clark, I want to talk about that, that Super Bowl, and I'm going to talk about it a little later in depth. But I, I was there. I want to talk about this Malcolm Butler play in this respect. And maybe I'm wrong, but you guys tell me. Wasn't a great pass, but it was one fantastic play by Malcolm Butler. Fantastic. Oh, no question. Not, not an average play, a fantastic play. No, no question. But it never should have been called. Never. Here's a coach who's thinking, I can outsmart everyone. No, you can't. Just give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. We can figure out that play. They can't stop him. They didn't stop him on the previous play. Yeah, he had over 100 I, yards in that I, game. I, I'll, I, I I'll, didn't figure that. I'll, I'll say this, um, two things on that play. One, uh, Marshawn Lynch was surprisingly, and this, is, this always caught me off guard when we look back at this, he was surprisingly ineffective down in short yardage situation on the goal line. Like It, it was kind of peculiar based on you know his track record and everything. Um, there were three plays at the goal line, so you got to figure at, at some point a pass was going to happen. And that particular play was kind of the Seahawks' bread and butter. They'd run that so many times, and, and based on how many plays were thrown down at the goal line, that was the only interception that season. So, you know, the perception, I think, got skewed when Chris Collinsworth immediately after the play called it the worst play of all time. But when you, when you kind of look back and take a step back, it was Seahawks' bread and butter— 
they had to throw it at some point, assuming they had three downs to get that. And of course, this weird thing where Marshawn Lynch wasn't picking up that one yard, but more so to Ira's point, and, and there was actually footage of this after the fact, the Patriots practiced uh, covering this play to to a, a very a large degree and, and were really keen on this happening because, again, like I said, this was the Seahawks' bread-and-butter play, and everything went right from Brandon Browner uh, locking up his guy, forcing him back into Russell Wilson's view, and then opening up that hole for Malcolm Butler. So um, I, I don't think it was the worst call ever. I think it was poorly executed because, again, you when you when you call that play, you're committed to, to that play. That's not a hot read. That's not a oh, I see something different. I'm gonna throw it elsewhere. No, he was going to him no matter what, and it just so happened that the Patriots were prepared for it and I think made the right play. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think there's a there's a little less uh, uh, in terms of wanting to call it a terrible call. I don't think it was that bad. I think it was just poorly executed, but greatly executed by the Patriots. Yeah, I think at some point they were going to throw it. You don't throw it at that point. I think it was a terrible call. I thought it was horrendous. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I, I anyway, enjoyed it personally I, because the result, but <laughs> yeah, I'm <know>. biased. <laughs> uh, Clark, wait, wait, wait till we examine the career of one Eli Manning. That, well, that's going to be a hell of a show. That's what that I was going to, just going to get go in that direction because Ira, at, at some point here, we're going to have Eli, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Ryan and Wilson, all contemporaries, but up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of that group, I think I would vote, honestly, for one, maybe two. How about you? Uh, Roethlisberger, to me. Roethlisberger is the one. He's a slam dunk. I think he's a slam dunk. He did it for so long. Um, you You know, not tremendous talent. He had Antonio Brown for part of his career. Uh, but he's a winner. Clark, he's a winner. He's a winner. Yeah. He's a winner. Won twice as many games as he lost. The the one I'd hedge on is not Eli. It's Russell Wilson, actually. So that's where my happen. And there are guys in that room who tell me that Eli Manning is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think we've mentioned this on the show before. Eli Manning was a very good quarterback. But to me, he had a Hall of Fame moments, not a Hall of Fame career. And and that's where I, I diverge. If you look at the one loss record, it's 500. In the last six years, he really did nothing. So that's anyway, the body I, of work, Clark. That's the body yeah. of work. Well, you know? I do, I do think he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. However, with he and his brother on Monday <laughs> nights, I enjoy watching that. That's that's a lot of fun. They must like that broadcast too, but I, I don't think they're cheering for Eli and Peyton. I think they're cheering for you because they know it's I was there, except they don't know where you were or when you were there. So fill us in. Where were you? When were you? Clark, I'm going to go back to this Malcolm Butler game, but from a different angle. February 1st, 2015, Glendale, Arizona. Patriots, Seahawks. Now, Clark, I want you to listen to this carefully. The Seattle Seahawks of 2014 led the league in scoring defense. They led the league in total defense. They led the league in pass defense. Clark, among their starters that day in Glendale, Michael Bennett, who was a terror at that time, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and K.J. Wright wasn't too shabby. The Patriots are losing 24-14 to after three quarters. 
I'm sitting there in that press box. I'm saying this game's over. The Patriots ran for 57 yards. They had no running game. And as Ian Glendon is smiling as I say it, here comes Brady. And who's the defensive coordinator? Dan Quinn. Ian, all Brady did that day against an elite defense, elite. Fourth quarter, 13 of 15, 124 yards and two touchdowns. Seattle, Clark hadn't allowed a 300-yard passer all season. To me, considering the quality of the opposition, Clark, I I think that might have been Brady's great moment. The fourth quarter against Seattle in a game that New England had no business winning. Final score, 28-24 Patriots. And that was in the wake of Deflategate. Don't forget that. Because people were talking about, oh, Tom Brady and, you know, deflated footballs. I remember that, Ira, in the fourth quarter because Richard Sherman was yucking it up on the sidelines. And I saw that and I turned to the guy next to me. I don't know who it was. It might have been Dan Pompey. And I said, he better be careful for what he wishes for because going against Tom Brady, you don't want to tick him off. And when they came back, I thought, yeah, you know what? You just can't rule this guy out of the game, as he and you saw. You know, several years later against Atlanta, and that came 28 yeah, Two three. years later, Dan Quinn gets it again yeah. from Brady. <laughs> yeah, or the same. I mean, God. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that was a great performance. I, I really enjoyed it, I, and I thought it was his rebuttal to deflate critics. Uh, so. Ian, watching that game, did you uh, did you have any confidence going into that fourth quarter? Uh, actually, uh, I did. <laughs> actually, but, again, that could have been more blind confidence than anything because, you know, again, watching Tom Brady – play his entire career. We've seen this happen. We, we saw him come back down nearly 31 points against the 49ers, I believe, the season before in the regular season when, when Colin Kaepernick was at his peak. Um, we've seen him come back against Denver. Um, so I, I looked at it and I was like, you know what? It's just got to make one play at a time. And, and when it comes to, in hindsight, looking at that, not only the deflate gate stuff, everything, this was a legacy-defining moment for a number of reasons. One, had they lost that game, all of a sudden it's 3-3 three and three in the Super Bowl. He won three, and now he's lost three in a row. I don't know what happens to that Patriots team after 2014 if they lose that game, certainly in that fashion in which it was going, because it really kicked off the second dynastic run on their part, because they go to four of the next five Super Bowls, including that one, of course, um, and obviously win three, and... You know, he ties Joe Montana for Super Bowls, which was kind of the thing at the time. Oh, he doesn't have four. Joe was four and all oh, this, that and the other. And to do it and at the time, tie the greatest comeback, fourth quarter comeback, let alone. I mean, he comes back and almost triples that two years later. But I think at that point against Atlanta, that was just icing on the cake for him. And I, I think the Seattle game against uh, not only an elite defense, but, you know, a, a generational defense for this time, you know, uh, uh, akin to maybe the rate, not to the level of the Ravens of early 2000s, but considering the style of offense that's being played in 2013, 2014, th- that Seahawks run with, you, you can argue that them and maybe the Broncos a couple years later, those were the best two defenses we've seen in the last 10 plus years. And to your point, Ira, what he did in the fourth quarter, um, when, when everyone knew he was going to pass, that was the thing. You knew he was going to pass, and there was nothing that this great defense could do to stop it. And 
again, I, I've never screamed so loud. I've never hit that high of a pitch uh, once that uh, interception happened uh, on the goal line. So definitely a good day in my life. Ira, uh, to his point, Tom Brady really has had two Hall of Fame careers in one. He's had two Hall of Fame careers. <laughs> you know, Clark, <laughs> we can't say enough about him. And that's I, why all roads that lead to Brady. Uh, that's why this three and five is so shocking. Yeah, that's, that's right. Why, that's Clark. right. And then, you know, you could say injuries, you can say whatever you want, Clark, but it's still Tom Brady. And Clark, he's taking every snap. He's healthy. He's taking every snap and he's three and five. Yeah, but you know what he hasn't done, Ira? He hasn't taken every question from you, but that's going to change tomorrow. That is going to change tomorrow. All right, got any you know final thoughts? Final Clark. thoughts, Ira. Yeah. All right, here's my thought. I'm going to preface my question to Brady tomorrow. You know, and I wait 10 minutes. I wait for all the fluffy questions to go through. You know, Tom, what'd you do for Halloween? What, what kind of <laughs> costume did the kids wear? And I'm just sitting there in the second row. And Clark, whatever question I ask, I'm going to preface it like this. Tom, this one comes from Clark Judge. <laughs> <laughs> then you're guaranteed to be escorted out of that room. Never to be admitted again. <laughs> hey, um, a couple things I want to mention. One is the passing of uh, John McVay, who I covered in San Francisco, was an executive of the year in 1989. Um, he's in the, the 49ers Hall of Fame, was admitted in 2013. In fact, their draft room is the John McVay draft room. Just a prince of a guy. A uh, great front office executive is there for 22 years. Um, loved being around him. He was 91 when he passed away. And uh, I, I, I thought the world of him. People don't know how valuable or invaluable he was to that team or that organization because they had outsized egos in Walsh, DeBartolo, and Policy. And he was able to sort of run amidst them and bring them all together uh, with a quiet and very firm hand. I, I respected him and very, very saddened by his loss. Clark, Secondly, Clark, Clark, one, one more quick point on McVeigh, Clark. Quick. Yeah. Um, for anybody who says, now, wait a minute, they've already got the head coach and the owner, and, and I, I don't care. I don't care. The 49ers, I think, what was it, 14 straight years with 10 wins or more or something like that? Yeah, it was more, I think it might have been more than that anyway. Yeah. I, I don't care how many guys they got in the hall. It's, it's not enough. No, not that, enough. that's right. And, and McVay was the glue that held that thing together at the front office level. And, and he was there for all the drafts of, of you know great players, Ronnie Lott, Joe Montana, Dwight Clark, people like that. Um, secondly, on this program, we sometimes talk about suspensions. You know, like Deshaun Watson, you know, we're, it, we sometimes talk about that. I you know in the NBA they talk about should Kyrie Irving be suspended? Yes, he should. Um, but we've never talked about it uh, in conjunction with the tree. The Stanford tree was suspended this week because it ran onto the football field of a game against ASU with a banner that said, Stanford hates fun. <laughs> he was, he's been suspended. And you know what? Have no fear. The previous tree is now coming out of retirement to replace him. There's no data as to how long this guy's going to be suspended. But Ira, you, you run a banner like that, Stanford hates fun, you get suspended. They must be out of their tree in Palo Alto. Uh, Clark, I, I hear that um, there's a plot brewing in Tampa that if uh, the Bucks should win this game, a bunch of fans are going out there uh, with a burning bush if the Bucks <laughs> should win this game. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, you got to show up and see if the burning bush comes out. If you want to hear this or any other eye test for two, just go to the itestfor2.com. Yeah, itestfor2.com. Very simple. Or fullpresscoverage.com. Otherwise, we'll see you right here next week. Where, where, I'm on the itestfor2, Clark. The itestfor2. Test Thanks, Ira. Thanks so much for listening.